Welcome everyone to the podcast Unanswered Questions with Pastor Tim Cole. This is a podcast where we talk about tough theological and Christian living questions sent in by people just like you. Our hope is that listening will strengthen your confidence in God's Word, helping you to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. If you have any questions, please send them to questionsforpastortim at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Unanswered Questions with Pastor Tim Cole. And today the first question is, what does it mean in Romans 128 that God gave them over to a depraved mind? Thank you, Justin. Uh, we're tackling a, a passage of Scripture that, of course, uh, cannot be dealt with in isolation from its context. The first rule of good Bible study is context, context, context. Every verse has a context. And so before we look at the verse itself, which Justin just read, and I'll repeat, uh, and in the same exact way that they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God handed them over to a depraved mind or to a worthless mind. Or as the old translation, the authorized version renders it, God handed them over to a reprobate mind. Wow, what is a reprobate mind? Has somebody ever called you, you reprobate? Uh, well, in case you weren't uh, in the know, it's not a good description. It's not a good name. First thing to understand uh, about uh, this statement is that the phrase, God handed them over, is used three times in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and following. Three times, God handed people over to something. Uh, and the reason that God does that is that there's prior behavior. Humans do something, and as a result of what they do, which is against God himself, God then responds by giving them over to something. And in all three cases, what God does in terms of his justice his uh, retributive justice, what God does is simply to give them a lower level of their existing sin. So if person did X, if culture did X, then God gives them over to double X. That's a form of retribution, a form of justice. So it's if we can put it a little bit more in a plain language, we would say, well, this is God speaking. If that's what you want, I'll give it to you, but I'll give it to you in spades. And the spades is the form of God's justice. But I should back up fairly and say that this passage, uh, most of my life, I have heard read as a diatribe. Paul's diatribe against what happens in a culture when they turn away from God. But that's a mistake. It's a mistake that's honest because in today's Bible translations, English Bible translations, a very important connection has been left out of verse 18, Romans 1.18. Now, older versions, uh, sometimes a little bit more what we would say word for word, 
and less concerned about a dynamic equivalent, they added the connective, and the connective is so important. It's only three letters long. It's gamma, epsilon, uh, excuse me, gamma, alpha, and rho, gar. Uh, this little connective that begins verse 18, for the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven, is important for us to recognize. Gar, or for, is included in a sentence in order to explain something that has just been said in the previous verse. Sometimes it gives a reason for something that's just been said. And in this case, it's probably a combination of both. So let me go to Romans 1, 16 and 17. That's the context of Romans 1. I'll read it, and then I'm going to place emphasis on that gar, that connection, before we get into the wrath of God business. So Romans 1, 16 says, I'm not ashamed of the good news because it is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes. First, for the Jewish people. Secondly, for the Gentiles. For, here's why, here's why Paul is not ashamed. He's explaining it. Here's why I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the, it's the power of God. It's a righteousness from God. It's being revealed, or excuse me, in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. It's a righteousness that is from faith from first to last, just as it is written. The righteous will live by faith. For the wrath of God is being revealed, present tense, is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and the wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So, did you hear the gar? Did you hear me speak the connective? Uh, some English Bibles leave that out. They leave out four. And the paragraph just seems to begin with the statement, the wrath of God is being revealed uh, from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. But this, this verse, verse 18, does not stand by itself. What's he doing when he says for the wrath of God? What's he doing? He's explaining, Paul is explaining why the gospel needs to be proclaimed. He's explaining the gospel, which is God's righteousness, that is being revealed also from heaven. So the reason that the gospel, the righteousness of God, has to be revealed from heaven to humanity should be revealed, should be proclaimed, should be proclaimed wherever there are people is because something else has already been revealed from heaven, and that's the wrath of God. So let me summarize, and then we'll move on, hopefully. Paul is arguing a case that the gospel, which is revealing God's righteousness that's available for people, the reason that it should be revealed by us to others, the reason the gospel needs to be told to people, is because something else has already impacted the human race. Something else is already in operation. Something else is touching the entire culture. And that 
something else is what is called the wrath of God. It's being revealed from heaven as well. So the gospel is the cure for the wrath of God. The gospel is the protection from the wrath of God that's being revealed from heaven. So the gospel has to get out because there are people out there who are defenseless. God's wrath is falling upon them. Wrath is God's commitment to punish sin. And the rest of chapter 1 shows us what the wrath of God looks like in everyday form. What the wrath of God looks like in a culture when it starts to unravel. God gives people over to their sin and to different depths of sin. And so it's massive, it's dangerous, it's serious. So Paul uh, prefaces the unveiling of the wrath of God with the statement that the gospel, a righteousness from God, is being revealed. And that's the solution to the problem that he describes in verses 18 and following. I like to use the analogy that Romans 1, 18 and following is a medical chart. If you've been to the hospital and been there overnight or you've been a visitor there, at the, at the very end of the bed is a clipboard of some sort or maybe a whiteboard. And on that whiteboard or on that clipboard is a description of the problem that the patient has, his sickness, his medications, you know, what the issues are. But you don't use that clipboard to beat the patient over the head. You don't come to the bed and beat them over the head with that clipboard. That medical chart helps nurses, physicians' assistants, and doctors to know what to prescribe for the patient. It's a, a battery of helpful information, all of it to, use, to be used to help the patient. So Romans 1.18 and following has been used as a bashing board by churches and pastors because they fail to see that there's a connector to verse 17, 4. And it's telling us this is why the good news of Jesus needs to be spread because it's the answer to a very obvious, serious problem. God's wrath is being revealed. His commitment to punish sin is being revealed. Hopefully that's clear. Romans 1.18 is not a diatribe. It's a medical chart showing how much the culture needs the gospel. Now let's go to our verse. Part of God's commitment to punishment is that he gives people in their sin over to deeper levels of their sin. And verse 28 says that God has given them over to a reprobate mind. Why? Well, because it says in verse 18 that they were not willing to have the knowledge of God among them. They were not willing to have knowledge about God. So what did God do? They were not willing to have the knowledge of God in their minds. So God then with a form of retributive justice, gave them over to a mind that is not able to make moral judgments. God gave them a mind that is not able to make wise moral judgments, 
not able to discern the will of God, not able to do the right thing even when it's standing in front of them. Previous to the wrath of God, they might be able to make a moral judgment, a wise moral choice. But when God begins to give a culture, a society, a generation over to a reprobate mind that is a mind that is depraved, now that culture cannot even begin to make good moral choices and moral decisions. They can't do it anymore because they have been judged. They have suffered God's wrath, his commitment to punish sin. But yet, there's hope. And the hope is that through the gospel, through the righteousness of God, which is imputed to our account on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ, faith in his finished work, God gives us a renewed mind. So it's, it's, there's some tension here that I think perhaps you can hear already. They have a depraved mind, a reprobate mind, a mind that cannot make moral judgments. How then can they be saved? Well, this tells us that salvation is a gift of God. Salvation is a gift that God gives to us in our ability to believe. And so God gives the gift of faith to people whose minds are, quote, depraved, uh, reprobate, unable to make good moral judgments. But what God does in his mercy and grace, when people hear the good news, they hear about the righteousness of God, which they don't have. Their life is characterized by unrighteousness. But God gives them this incredible gift called the righteousness of God. And the rest of life, then, is a process of renewing our minds. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I urge you, brothers, sisters, in view of the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. And he goes on to say that this is accomplished by what? By the renewing of your mind, by the renewing of the way you think. So the whole Christian life is a step-by-step, day-by-day, month-by-month, year-by-year transformation of the way we think. Uh, it's little known how much the mind is a part of the Christian life. It's not about emotions purely. I mean, emotions are clearly a part of our Christian life that are sanctified by the Spirit. But it's the way we think about life. It's the way we think about God and my brothers and sisters and about my life. Those are the things that begin to change during throughout this process of the renewing of our mind. What I'm hoping to show here during this particular episode is that any culture is not in a hopeless position. Even though they've suffered the wrath of God, it does not mean they're finished. No. If that was the case, then the Roman Empire was finished. But Paul came to Rome eager to preach the gospel, even though it was in dire straits. The moral lives, for example, of the first 15 emperors, the first 15 Caesars in the Roman Empire, were awful. Their lives were just um, an echo of hell. But uh, and, and their lives represented the population at large, but the gospel transformed the Roman Empire. It turned it upside down. That's the power of God. That's why 
It's such good news that it's God's righteousness, but it's his power. So Paul was not ashamed of it. So I hope I'm leaving you with hope. You may be living in a, a pretty bad neighborhood. You may be living in a pretty bad culture or a pretty bad time. What is needed? A clear, unapologetic expression of the gospel of God, the righteousness of God on the basis of Jesus' death and resurrection. And a culture can be transformed. But it has to be, again, hardcore gospel. It can't be a watered-down version because people then don't hear the full truth of their own sin. And when people are not convinced that they're sinners, they're not convicted that they're sinners, why look for a solution when there's no problem? <laughs> why call for a doctor if I'm not sick? People are pretty uh, satisfied with the life they're living. And so you have to tell them bad news before you can give them the good news. I know that that's sometimes difficult to do in this culture because you run the risk of being laughed at. I, I get that. But nevertheless, let's look at Jesus. Let's look at Paul. Let's look at Peter. They told people bad news, but they included good news. I think of Peter's uh, passion on the day of Pentecost. He accuses them of killing the Prince of Life. And they were pricked to the heart. So, uh, But he gave them good news. He, he said, you know, there's... There's a time of refreshing that can come. Repent. And they did. And 3,000 people that day, many of whom were responsible, perhaps, for the death of Jesus, received eternal life, received the forgiveness of sins. And so Jesus' prayer from the cross was answered. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And indeed, Father, the Father forgave many of them. So let's go back to the start, not to rehash everything, but to ask the question, what does it mean that God gave people over to a reprobate mind? God is a God that does not stand by and watch sin by itself or sin and do nothing. He's a judge. He's the righteous judge who judges all the earth. So he sees people ejecting God out of their fellowship, ejecting God out of their life. And God says, okay, you don't want me? I tell you what, you're not going to even be able to think my thoughts and make moral judgments. That's what it means to have a reprobate mind, a depraved mind. You've got a mind, but it can't do the right thing. It can't do that for which it was created. But in the gospel, in, in the gospel of God, God gives us his righteousness, and then we go on this pilgrimage of changing the way we think. And so Romans 1 looks like a diatribe, but it's not. It's a medical chart. Look at your medical chart. And if you see yourself, apart from God, not able to make good moral judgments, run to Christ, the crucified Savior and risen Savior. Ask him to save you. Ask him to forgive you. And he will. And your journey can be far different from the way it's begun. Thanks for listening. We'll look forward to our next episode. God bless you all. Thank you for joining us this episode. And remember to send all your questions to questions for Pastor Tim at gmail.com.